Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 198. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore on Twitter, joined by my co-host, John White, at VJourneyman. Hey, John, how's it going? Nick, I'm doing great. Just want to remind everybody that we are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a pause or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey, as long as, you know, Twitter's a thing. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome. I want to remind listeners about our Nerd Journey Knowledge Graph site at graph.nerd-journey.com. It is a place to find an interconnected set of searchable show notes so that you can look through the catalog of connected ideas, guests, and episodes. Check it out and send us some feedback. John, I feel like we're going to do something totally different this week that we've never done before. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. We are are going to do a guest interview, I guess that's what it's called, in the industry. And, and it's going to be a shocking two parts, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And who knows, if, if we find a way to, to squeeze it out to three, then we'll, we'll do it. But no guarantees there. This week, we're starting a new series of discussions with Nathan Bennett, who is a Principal Clard Architect at, I believe it's Sterling Computers. Interestingly enough, we never really talked about what Sterling is or does, but we did, maybe not directly, a little bit more indirectly. I think the interesting things that I pulled out of the conversation that I would like to kind of point out to people were, there's just a kind of an irony about Nathan's origin story that I ended up calling out. And if you can spot it before I call it out, then kudos to you. Let me know via Twitter if you did. I also thought that there was a, a really cool experience with uh, early career technical jargon that was not at all what I expected to hear. But you be the judge. See if you can spot that too. How about you, Nick? I actually liked the emphasis on importance of soft skills because those are important when explaining technical jargon, as you know. And I think you'll find some interesting chats about taking things both in and out of context across multiple domains. Nice. But instead of us continuing to talk about it, let's get into it. Here we go with part one of our discussion with Nathan Bennett. Bennett. Welcome to Nerd Journey. Thanks for having me, guys. Can you start by telling listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do today, please, sir? Yeah, so my job is very dynamic. I specialize in cloud and automation, which covers a wide variety of topics. Those areas are widespread across a number of different uh, verticals. And the best way that I can describe my position is kind of like an office of the CTO where he says, hey, I've got this cool idea. Someone should probably look into it. And I sheepishly raise my hand some days and some days I don't. But that's what I do nowadays. Some days you take uh, two steps back. Yeah. You got to account for the two steps back because at the end of the day, you need to get to the, the end state and goal. So some days... It's it feels a little bit like project managing because you're given a hey it would be really cool to do this and at the end of the day you've you've got to do it got to deliver sometimes we have to manage capacity for even our in ourselves right yeah it takes a lot of self discipline can we back up maybe and talk about how you got into technology as far back as you feel comfortable talking about really what what's the genesis with you and tech. Because there's a real mismatch between the things you studied in school and the tech industry. I'm curious to hear about that. I have to start with my dad, actually, because he was a computer programmer on a submarine. At the time when computer programming involved uh, punch cards, 
And he basically programmed based off of where to punch specific cards and programmed that into the computer. And he grew into C sharp and all the different C languages that I am not a developer and I don't have a CIS degree. So I don't know all of those different ones, but he became a, there's a different term for it, but basically what developers now use as a linter to fix broken code, that was my dad's job. I swore up and down I would never work in IT because of what he did. I just, I could never imagine looking through millions of characters for a semicolon that was out of place. It just sounded like the worst job I could ever think about. But at the time, I did enjoy, you know, things like video games and all that type of technology. And I just thought it was really cool how like, you know, the Nintendo became the Super Nintendo, became the Nintendo 64. And at that same time, my dad was like downloading Doom when it became for shareware. And it was like this uh, FTP site that everyone was downloading it from. So there was tech all around me growing up. Uh, My first computer was a hand-me-down 386 that was upgraded to 16 megabits of, of RAM, I believe for that windows 3.1 update which was oh so sweet you know i got to use a mouse and keyboard and that that was my first computer so i've i've been in the tech area for for quite a bit but you actually studied not tech you you said you didn't have a a cis uh, computer information systems degree do you mind sharing what you did study (laughs) sure absolutely yeah my my degree is a bachelor's of arts in biblical studies the idea came to me around eight that I just wanted to be, I apologize, this is kind of sounds weird, but at eight years old, I decided that I just wanted to be used by God and be a missionary or something like that. And so I decided that I would become a pastor or youth pastor or however that would lead. And that was my goal from that age. And so tech was a hobby during this time, but I focused on understanding scripture, understanding, you know, the different things in in terms of figuring out the analysis of different texts and how that could be applicable to people's lives from one step to the next, became a youth pastor and then went through different areas. Wait, so my understanding is that you looked at your father's job of searching through thousands and thousands of characters to look for mistakes. And you said, I'm never going to do that. But then what you did end up doing is studying the Bible, thousands and thousands of characters for analysis of content that's that's some irony there is is all i'm saying (laughs) i i see i see the correlation and i i think i was always destined to follow my dad's footsteps in in a way because of things like that i didn't like the idea of looking in multiple different characters but the idea of taking something that a lot of people did not whether understand is the right word or apply it to themselves is another way of viewing it and and try to change that perspective that to me was was an endearing quality to becoming a pastor and there's a lot of different things within that that I that I still hold today in in IT and I think that's really the the qualities that I kind of was always was always there so in IT though Going back to my dad, I think the biggest thing was that something didn't work and he would change one character and run it again and it still didn't work. He would change another character and run it again and it still didn't work. And to my mind, you know, now I know better, but to my mind, there were no rules. It was the wild, wild west of a million characters and he just had to make these million characters do what he needed him to do or the developer needed him to do. And that just, oh man, that just sounded terrible. I just never wanted to do anything like that. Whereas helping a teenager understand or hope for the future and their life, that that gets me going some days because at the end of the day, it's about helping other people with their life, with their actual problems of their life. That to me is still a deciding difference between those two career choices. Yeah. Nobody's asking you to, to fix characters, right? And uh, change meanings. So I, I can definitely see there's no... Uh... No recompilation of the Bible. Yeah, they they don't really like it when you when you try to change characters <laughs> from <laughs> from the text. People tend to come out of the woodwork and say, uh, "You can't do that," and 
that's the joy of it. You know, Bible study is so strange because this, it's, this is this text that's just been around for so long and it's been translated so many different times by so many different peoples. And a lot of people will say, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a dead language or dead story or de- whatever they want to call it. But there's so many great things that, you know, can be pulled out of it and still used today. And to a lot of different ways, you know, it's supposed to help us all just deal with problems and learn how to deal with each other and try to show grace and mercy and things like that. Although I will say going through seminary will definitely change your vocabulary in a, in a bad way. If I say that, you know, I'm going to create it, make an intercession for a customer, they tend to look at me a little strange, you know, whereas if I use that terminology in church, people are just like, oh yeah, I get it. Jesus intercession person. Got it. Whereas it just means I'm, I'm like the go-between. And I, I just remember sometimes falling back on those, those words and kind of re- having to take a step back, change my vocabulary, use smaller words, and you know, starting out because at the end of the day, it's about getting the message across more than anything else. I mean, it sounds to me like what you're saying is that when you did a deep dive into something, you got immersed also in the technical jargon. And uh, when you use technical jargon outside of where everybody understands that jargon, then it come like people don't understand. So yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, there are some doctrines that are difficult to swallow, and you got to have to figure out how to spell those out so that they're a little bit clearer in what those are, right? And to me, there's no difference between that and helping someone understand how NSXT works. It's a lot of components that if you know all the components and know how they all work individually, then I like to say you see the spider web, you see all the different connections, you know, you see the matrix, don't you? And all the different ways that you can say that phrase. But at the same time, it's about helping other people connect those dots where something comes from an idea or a proof of concept to doctrine, rules, laws, or enterprise business built up. Yeah, you you have to make sure that you meet that person where they are with their base of knowledge, like John said, de-jargoning the situation because they may not have the same base understanding that you do. It sounds like teaching across the domains to me. It sounds like you have the, the, the intent of someone who likes to teach people. Oh, yeah. That at the end of the day is is pretty key and it's key to my job now, you know, when I do like workshops, when I try to talk to people and try to help them understand, you know, these different concepts. I think Tanzu is a big one that I've done workshops on. It's always to administrators. It's always to a bunch of guys that when I open a terminal window, they're like, what, what is this? Why do I care about this? And then try to show them, by the way, I'm going to run this one line commandlet. And oh, look, something popped up on the on the vCenter. Now it's in your realm. Now this is why you have to care about it. It's adding those those connections from point A to point B and trying to help them understand the different to your word, different domains for the solutions that we're trying to help. And I think it's funny because in talking about my move from something like the the Bible to tech. My wife was a huge, huge part of it. She was constantly telling me, you know, I'm not sure about this. And I always thought that it was like cold feet because, you know, pastor's wives, that's a rough job. Like if you think your wife has a rough job, a pastor wife has a rough job because they have to deal with the entire congregation judging them continually. And they're just at this different level of insanity, but to, for lack of a better term, it's just, it's a rough job. When I finally realized was uh, I had a Greek exam and I wasn't worried about it because I've, I've always been good at Greek. I'm actually better at ancient Greek than I am at English. Fun fact. But my wife came home because she was she was putting me through seminary at the time and found that I had taken apart all the different components of my PC because there was a clicking noise. I thought for sure I could find it. And it ended up being a bad actuator on a hard disk. It wasn't a fan, you know, everyone says, get a, get a pencil, stop the fans, but it was actually a bad actuator. And I was like, okay, so this is a bad hard disk. I didn't even know it was in there because it didn't show up and I didn't even know it was trying to spend. So at that point, my wife was like, okay, we got to talk about this because this is seriously not what you should be doing. (laughs) It's like, oh, you're right. I shouldn't be taking the computer apart. She was like, no, that's not what we're talking about here. And then, yeah, she, she kind of laid down about what she felt like I should be doing. Then a whole bunch of different 
things happened in my life. And yeah, that's what I ended, ended up doing. So once that conversation happened, first of all, how did you receive it? Did you believe her? Did it take more convincing? And can you share some of the steps that you took to make the pivot? Yeah, absolutely. So first off, I got kicked out of seminary. So I am absolutely happy to share that story because I am a bit of a bullheaded fella. And my wife and I had the conversation. I tried to calm her down. I was like, this is a calling. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. We got So when I say we got kicked out of seminary, and I love saying that, we actually got kicked out of seminary housing, to be clear, because we had a cat. And at the time, the people who had told us that we can have a cat had completely flipped on that policy and said, if we had a cat, then you should leave, basically. And we had constantly tried to get in touch with this person to tell them we have a cat and you said that we could have a cat and we were never able to reach them. And then they came into our house, which looking back, they went into our house illegally because they did not give notice that they were going to replace an air filter in our home and found that we had a cat and then said that we had to leave, which at that time we were like, we're looking at getting another home. So don't worry, we're leaving. And that happened. And at the same time, we had just fired our pastor for I don't know what reason. I literally have no idea what reason it was. And at that time, I was it just became this eye-opening factor to me of, do I actually want to do this? So at the end of the day, and after five years of hand-wringing and going to probably one of the darkest places I've ever been, I decided, you know what, I'm going to give, I'm going to give tech a try. So that pivot took over six years. And I didn't start in IT until I was 28. So I've been in IT for a little over 11 years. And I've, I've just taken it to like a, like a duck to water just because at the end of the day, whatever I'm doing, if I'm talking to my boss or a customer on the phone, I still cling to that idea of helping them understand what the problem is and what the solutions are. It's, it's just that basic to me. Going to your question about things that I did to make the pivot, if I was able to talk to myself at 28, I would have told him, just go get a tech job. Just go put your resume out there, work with these consulting agencies. They will place you in a job. I, a consulting agency placed me in my first tech job, which was at Radio Shack doing phone help. And a lot of people will kind of turn their nose up to that idea, especially like if you're looking at going into tech, you're like, oh, I'm going to be a cloud engineer. It's going to change the world and find out that, no, you got to start somewhere. You got to put your foot in the door. And that's what I did. So we spent like, I don't know, probably like $8,000 on classes, on training. And I got a, like an A plus certification security plus certification, which basically means I, I know how to break stuff in an insecure way. Is that ethical hacking? It is not. You know, security plus is such a strange cert, at least when I when I got it. This was, you know, of course, a while ago. Man, it's it, it's all about like, hey, um, we're not going to tell you to do this, but if you wanted to do a brute force attack, you can download this here and run it. And it's like, these are pen testing tools, by the way, and not tools you should use for nefarious reasons. It was crazy back in the early 2000s. But that's what Security Plus was, was like. And then I got my job as phone help, phone support at Radio Shack. And that was my first troubleshooting IT job. And that's where I've just kind of put all this idea of what's the problem? These are the solutions. I just try to calmly talk to the person on the phone who's screaming and yelling at me. Just send a new piece. Just send me a new one. That we got to go through the steps. I know you don't want me to say this. I'm pretty sure I'll send you a new one at the end. But this is what we're going to do. Please, have you tried turning it off and on again? <laughs> and that's where, where it all started. I have to say that I have had an embarrassingly large number of cases where turning it off and on again has worked. And I didn't think to do that. So I think that, you know, those processes make a lot of sense. I know that's probably fixating on the, the very last thing that you said, rather than, I think, the, the interesting, like super interesting journey that you went through of evaluating what it is that um, you really wanted to be doing. I, I wonder if there's a lesson to be learned there about things that you love doing and things that you want to do as a profession. Because I, I guess I've had friends in my life who 
thought that they wanted to be a professor of literature and then realized, oh, I can deconstruct that into writing, analysis, and, and some of the other components of what you know a professor of literature would do and do all those things without getting their PhD and getting a tenure track position. That track of like profession is not the same thing as doing the thing. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, I think it it boils down to a phrase that I was exposed to a while ago, which was transferable skills. Because a lot of times we tend to think that one job has no correlation to another. It it means something when DevRel used to be product evangelists. If, if anyone's ever heard of those titles or developer evangelists, developer relations is what it all turned into or technical evangelists. When you think of evangelists, we go back to where I came from. And that's kind of the whole point. You know, we go, we spread the good news. We evangelize what the solution can do. I'm still doing it because at the end of the day, if I sit in front of a customer and try to tell them what about a product, my goal isn't to try to force feed a customer a product, which is why I like working for Avar, by the way. My goal is to try to find a product that fits that customer's problem. And I can do that without having to worry about what that solution is until I get to a point where I fully understand what the problem is and then try to say, okay, it sounds like you need X and then bring that in. This is something that you learn as a pastor in counseling, excuse me, where you don't try to fix as much as you try to understand. And I think that there's a there's a lot to unpack there in the tech world, because a lot of times we're like, hey, I'm here to help you guys. I understand that you're having problems connecting X to Y. And they're like, yeah, we're trying to move to software defined networking. And we just and we just key on that right there. And I'm using NSX as an example because I'm studying NSX right now. And you're just like, oh, NSX, hey, you know, microseg and, you know, north, south, east, west, what up? And we just immediately just vomit all of this information and facts before we say, well, what have you tried? Where, where are you moving towards? What are your troubleshooting steps? Why did you start with those troubleshooting? Like why? Just like try to understand their mentality first because NSX is, it's not plug and play, right? If you're bringing in a solution like something like that. They have to understand how to, how to care and feed it. Again, I'm picking on NSX because I'm studying right now. So it could be anything, right? It could be, you know, Amazon Aurora or Azure SQL. Let's try to figure out serverless. Let's try to figure out Kubernetes. You know, all these different things come with a price tag that is paid for in talent and time that we don't think about because we tend to just immediately go to the technical wins that it can almost immediately grant. Yeah. And I mean, we probably do this with our families too, not trying enough to understand their problems. I mean, I remember hearing at, I think it was at a marriage seminar, like your wife or significant other doesn't always want you to fix it. They just oftentimes want you to hear what they have to say and understand where they're coming from. Man, that is such a great point just for, for people. I'm pulling a lot of stuff out of things that I learned in seminaries in, in, in this discussion because I know that I was brought on this for that strange reason that, you know, there are times that I was asked in my career, do, do you have a, a, a degree? And I said, yes, I have, a, I have a biblical studies degree. And they would stop, look at me, squint, and then say, these, say this phrase. I want everyone to hear me. They said this phrase. It, it doesn't matter. I just need to know that you have a degree. It just like threw me so hard. And that's why I have a lot of discussions with people that around just technical training outside of a degree because I don't have a CIS degree. I don't, I never studied, you know, C, C sharp or any of that type of stuff. I don't understand frameworks. I use them because I, I, I watched a YouTube channel like everybody does now, including developers that do understand C, how to make them actually work to that credit. You know, there is something to be said about people that, that don't have a degree that spent the time because I spent all that time learning things like soft skills. Like a lot of this is just soft skills. And I know we throw around soft skills like, ah, you just got to work on your bedside manner or try to zhuzh up your writing or 
learn how to go to go like Toastmasters to learn how to speak. You know, I, I've never done Toastmasters or anything like that, but I have preached in, you know, rescue missions. I've, I've gone to homeless shelters and preached. And I'll tell you what, those guys, that's a hard crowd, man. But if you can, if you can keep their attention, uh, you know, you've got something and it may be the message. It might be you. You don't know what it is, but you know, you've got something. And being able to transfer that skills of creating an outline, putting that together into a speech, a presentation or whatever, easily transfers into the technical technical world. I love the idea of relatable experience or transferable experience, transferable skills, as you said. And it comes from all different directions. It comes from previous experience that you've had, whether inside or outside work. And I think a lot of people just don't remember to highlight that on their resume or in interviews or they may not actually know they have those skills and that they do transfer it seems to fall into one of two categories that's my hypothesis yeah i'll jump in there with something that i saw today i saw a amazing resume that did not once say anything about giving a presentation writing anything or creating anything. I don't want to say that it was just jumbled up buzzwords, but he definitely used um, IAS in almost like 30% of his lines of in his resume. And there's something to be said about the technical jargon that we use in a technical resume. But first question that was asked was, do you feel comfortable talking to people in a, like a C-suite? Do you feel comfortable describing something like infrastructure as code or infrastructure as a service to a developer. Those are the first questions that he was asked, right? Because none of that was in the resume. So to your point, in terms of transferable skills, those things matter. If you have a ability to interview very well, that transfers, right? And it transfers into your job. A lot of people don't think that because they think, oh, well, he just interviews really well. He can he can pass it many job interviews and just get whatever job he wants. Well, that's a soft skill. And maybe that's something you should try to spend some time learning because how you present yourself matters. I'm glad that this is an audio recording because me and my, my happy little t-shirt with my big old earbuds, earphones, excuse me, it, it doesn't look that great. It's not a pretty picture. But if I was doing a video presentation or a webinar, I wouldn't look like this because how I look matters. What is it? 90% of what's communicated is visual. That, that may be a bloated estimate in terms of percentages, but it's a lot. A lot of what is communicated is visual. And so when we speak towards things or speak of ourselves, we need to make sure how we speak towards those things. And we need to make sure that what we're presenting visually is the same communication that we're trying to give audibly. Oh, that's fascinating. You're talking about basically aligning the message in all the different ways that it's being delivered, whether there's visual aids being aligned with what you're saying, but also those visual aids and what you're saying being aligned with how you're presenting yourself. So if you say we are a technically competent, trustworthy company with a lot of ability to deliver X, Y, and Z, and maybe two out of the three things are, are only two out of the three things are aligned with that message and your personal presentation is not aligned with that, then you're not really sending the message that you think you're sending. I love the video where someone says, oh man, I am so good. I'm so ready to take this job. I, I know exactly what you guys need. My resume is the best resume out there. And the whole time while this guy's talking, the camera is just focused on this mustard stain on his shirt because it's like this huge, huge mustard stain. And it's just like, you know, talking about like we're, we're technically competent, but you have a huge mustard stain on your shirt. They're going to be sitting there like, hmm, are you though? Um, not sure. I'm not so sure. <laughs> yeah. Do the background work, right? Can you talk a little bit about the progression that you went through? It sounds like some of that was going out and getting entry-level certifications as you were getting into that the early jobs. Is that something that you kept on doing or did you find alternate paths? to kind of level up? So I found alternate paths. I had my A plus and my security plus until I got to this position. I didn't have any other certifications. I now hold, I don't know, something like 10 or 11 
for those that work in VARs or, you know, in, in this space, getting a certification is like a rite of passage. Like it's, it's just like, we need certs who wants to go do it. And then you raise your hand up cause you don't have one. And then guess what? They give you another one and another one and another one and another one. Here, here's a hot take. Certifications don't do much except tell people that you know enough to talk about it. AWS Associate Architect is probably the dumbest certification out there because it is basically a small baby step up from the foundations exam. Whereas if you actually want to operate, then you'll take the SysOps Associate exam in Amazon or AWS because it has a practical component to it and it focuses on you being able to actually build stuff in the cloud. And everyone's going to immediately look at my LinkedIn and see that I have that exam. And that's why, like, now now I have my professional exam, and I kind of look back at that associate, like, what, what good are you? But to get off my, my hot take wagon about uh, certifications. We call that a soapbox, Nathan. A soapbox? Okay. I have so many soapboxes. It's, it's, it's shaming. It's okay. I mean, it's nothing compared to John, so you're good. Yeah, this is the right podcast for uh, soapboxes. Fantastic. That so that progression after I got the A plus and the security plus. By the way, fun fact: I got those before my job at Radio Shack, and in the interview for Radio Shack, I told him, "Yeah, I know. I got my A plus, and I got my security plus. So I understand computers, and I understand like RAM, CPUs. Like I know how all the intricacies work in data lanes." The guy straight up goes. Well, you know more about a computer than I do, so you you'll work. And then I found out like every other person that I worked with had no security, no no certifications, had no idea how computers even worked. And a couple of the kids came were like, "Going to be at high school," and and then so here I am out of high school, and this is my night job because it was it was overnight. It was graveyard work, and those kids were hilarious because they kept on getting busted for drinking as minors. And they wouldn't show up to work because they were they were getting bailed out or were in jail. And this was Radio Shack was a wild wild west of IT, folks. You you heard about it here. But when I started there, I learned very quickly about what my superpower was, which was basically the ability to help people understand what the technology was rather than what it does. And trying to help someone understand that their POS, point of sale system, was the functional point for the entire store, trying to help them understand that if that thing was down or the receipt printer was down, there were alternatives and understand like the operations of the store became central to how I talk to the people on the phone. And those that have worked at Radio Shack or have worked in a retail can probably guess a lot of people did not like me because they, again, they wanted a new receipt printer or they wanted a new, they needed toner sent to them for their printer or something like that. And I was like, okay, go through the process. And I did that every single time. And if they were like, well, we can't operate this way. Okay. Well, this is how the operations of the store works. This is how you are supposed to do X. This is how you're supposed to do Y. Well, I've never done that before. So how do I, how, how am I supposed to know how to do that? Okay, this is how that works. Let me tell you how this works. And it was just constantly breaking down an environment that they had lived in and worked in, but they had never asked these questions about how does this work? What is the purpose of X? What is the purpose of you know the printer in the back besides printing tags? What is the purpose of the, the computer in the back that the manager was always on, which we refer to as the server? All of these things had specific purposes. And I just kind of broke them down. So excuse me, I'm waxing poetically about Radio Shack. But at the end of the day, it wasn't about just understanding how to replace a receipt printer or one of the scanners. It was about the fact that I that I knew how each one of these worked connected to the actual point of sales machines and how that point of sale machines connected to the backend servers. That moved me to what they refer to as level two, where I learned SQL, some database querying, and the ability to manage pricing data in the backend server. I showed that I was able to learn that, and I was also able to grow and work directly with some of the application users that had create sales uh, structures and different processes. And I got put on a team for doing the new 
updates of Radio Shack. If anyone remembers, Radio Shack had some stores that looked like Apple stores for a brief second before they went completely kaput. I was part of the IT team that that made those do what they were supposed to do. But after I was able to do that and do that quite successfully, they moved me to a network operator position, which was a hilarious job. To, to this day, I think it's so funny that I did less. I feel like I did less as a network operator position than I did as a phone to help position. But that position paid significantly more. And it was just way more responsibility. And that's literally what they paid me for. It's like you're taking more of a chance or risk in that position than as a phone help guy, because I had the ability to go into the data center and I had the ability to run tapes and do backups. And I had the ability to actually log in to the VMware services and be able to see some of these things and like restart a virtual machine. That's where I learned some of those things. And so that was all just Radio Shack. And when it's funny to see that progression within three years, I learned very quickly how quick I can learn things and pinpoint on where the problems were for that position. In other words, where other people are not strategizing to learn. And I would learn that one thing. And I would learn it to a point where I was able to be that guy. So like, oh, this one thing's broken again. Does anybody know that? Oh yeah, Nathan. Nathan's the that thing guy. You just create a, a name for yourself. People call that marketing nowadays. So utilizing that, I was able to move into all those different positions. And then I don't know how much you, how far you want me to go into it, but I use that type of mentality moving from one place to the next. The next place where I worked was uh, XTO Energy, which is a subsidiary of ExxonMobil. And there I learned automation and PowerShell scripting. I learned that I have an astigmatism in my left eye, which is why I hated reading tons of books and going through checklists because I would skip lines and I wouldn't realize it. So if you ever go through a book and you have a problem and you skip lines, it sounds like it sounds kind of embarrassing, but I had to read books like finger on the line and then go down, go back, finger on the line. And that's how I had to read books for a long time. I've had LASIK and stuff like that since. And so I have a much better life now, but that's why I couldn't do checklists. But for some reason, I took to scripting like it was duck to water. And it was all PowerShell scripting at the time. Just rewinding a little bit, you talked about understanding the entire system of how a store worked instead of just the components in isolation, just the receipt printer, just the tag printer. And I'm wondering if that was the skill that you kind of took throughout each of these roles is is not trying to think about each thing in isolation, but as part of the system and the whole and, and you're stretching to understand how the system worked. Am I just extending something and, and searching for a pattern or, or does that fit? It does fit because especially at Radio Shack, because man, I, I knew those stores and there were some stores that definitely knew me that it, in a good way and sometimes a bad way because of just Iron sharpens iron in different ways. We we all probably can go through our careers and and understand what these things were and how these things really really felt. Going back, and I probably should have brought this in earlier during that six year transition of me moving from biblical studies to IT. I don't really talk about that. The one my very first IT position was with a stand up, just an individual, just a guy doing consulting work. And he said he needed some help and he needed someone that could just re-image machines. Well, I, at, by that time I had built PCs and I knew how to re-image machines. And so I could do that. Well, it ended up, he, he needed someone that had better understanding of like what a server is, not just, not a machine to, to me, a server and a laptop were the same things, just a desktop PC and a regular PC. And anyone in the enterprise world knows that is not the case. And after I worked there for about two months, he started not using me. And then after he stopped using me, he, we had a meeting and he just basically was like, look, you, you don't have the mental faculty to work in IT. You're just not smart enough to do it. You need to go back and you need to work in something in the arts, like what your, what your degree is in. So that added to the five years of me not going into IT because I just, he, he was in that world and he said that I just can't do it. So that being said, going to your point about understanding the full subset of, of everything around it, 
I had a better appreciation of blast radius at that time than probably most of the people around us. Cause I didn't know what I did would break other places and other things until I found out what those other things were and understand how they actually work. So to your point, understanding blast radius did become kind of a bigger part, but I, I'm not sure I could pinpoint that in terms of like career success. It was more of a safety function that made sure that I, I didn't screw up as much as I probably should have, which does invoke confidence, I guess. So I guess in a way that that could be seen as success. It wasn't something that I did knowing what those areas were. It was something that was just kind of a knee-jerk reaction to the the sins of my past, I guess. Well, it's an interesting thing. The more that you talk about it, the more it reminds me of what you said earlier about uh, biblical studies. Like if you're doing textual analysis and textual criticism, it's not one thing in isolation. It's a whole system of interconnected things and in bringing the full context of all those connected things together to talk about a specific topic. But then if in your first job, you didn't know to do that and the person didn't explain that you needed to do that and then said it's because of your mental faculties, then that's uh, really disconcerting, right? And then if later on, only later on, you figure out that that's what you need to do, then I don't know. That that just sounds like bad teaching, not a, not a personal thing. He, he wasn't the nicest guy. I should give him a lot of grace because I think him saying that to me still spurns me on to a certain degree. Like if I ever see him, I just want to shake his hand and say thank you. Because there, he built a fire within me that I didn't know was there, just to prove him wrong every day. And that that has been my goal from Radio Shack to now. Do I want to shove it in his face? No, because I, I, I've got a wife now. I've got I've got two amazing kids. I mean, I've I've done very well for where I started with him. I mean, I can't have anything but gratitude for the fact that he he put that drive in me. But to your point, I feel like I'm waxing poetically and then I come back around to the point, but it's, it's good. It's all good. Keep going. <laughs> what you Thanks, Nick. What you said is actually very true. In biblical studies, you understand that context means everything. So fun fact about me is I teach Sunday school and in Sunday school, there's a passage that talks about not throwing your pearls before swine. A lot of people have probably used this phrase before. My my wife says it's a Southern phrase. So for those that are not in the South, you may not understand it, but it's basically like, don't, don't take what's good and give it to people that won't appreciate it. How does this passage get pulled out of context? It turns into a, before I give you anything good, you have to show me that you can handle it. And it turns into a criticism and a judgment on the person before anything grace or merciful can be bestowed upon that person. Fun fact, the previous five verses are when Jesus tells the disciples and the rest of the people that are listening at the time, judge not that you be not judged. That to me is a powerful message to just all sorts of different career fields. So to your point, I think all of these things build into the idea of taking something out and removing the context of the environment around it. And it changes into something that's not necessarily the whole purpose of the whole. It's the purpose of the thing, not the purpose of everything. And so where this fits in IT is we kind of lose that when we focus so much on one problem. A great example of this is, I'll use Tanzu, because you may have a networking problem, you may have a storage problem, or you may have a Tanzu problem. Nine times out of 10, they're going to say it's a Tanzu problem, and it's probably a networking problem, because Kubernetes networking is wild and crazy. And then storage is still there as well. And so understanding what the storage is, what the networking, networking is, you have to understand all of those components before you can have a happy Tanzu environment. And that's kind of key to this, this statement of understanding like all these different areas. If you understand just Tanzu, you'll probably never get it up and running. Whereas if you understand a little bit about the backends, you'll be have a much happier experience. It's a, very similar to understanding uh, 10 years ago, the same thing about virtual machines, right? If you're in a VMware environment 
and you get super specialized on the VMware layer and the virtualization layer, but you don't pay any attention to the storage layer, don't pay any attention to the the networking layer, and don't pay any attention to what is actually running on your VMware environment, then you're going to probably not be very useful. <laughs> um, but like you, you're going to make a lot of mistakes because you don't understand the system and all the parts that it's interacting with. It's a really tough lesson to learn. It is a lesson to learn. And it's one that I learned pretty early on when I when I told a networking guy, hey, guys, this, the networking on this thing is, is, is gone. It's just it is not getting anywhere. And I said, OK, what server is it? I gave the DNS of it. And everyone that's done old school networking understands these letters and dashes mean nothing to me. They just immediately went, what's the IP address of it? And they showed me some grace because they didn't immediately go, you idiot. I don't understand anything that doesn't have an IP address. You've got to give me an IP address. And then, of course, they I gave them the IP address and they showed everything on the network working. And then I went back and understood that it was something in DNS because it's always something in DNS. But that's a, a good example of it, I guess. All the things that you said about hard lessons and getting the full context made me think to how it applies to feedback, specifically difficult feedback. John, I really feel like we're doing our listeners a disservice by not recording some of the off-air conversations we've had about hundreds of different things that were completely on topic about what show we were about to record. Don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe we should have like a, a special patrons-only episode, which is everything that gets cut. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it would be a super cut of me going, uh... <laughs> and me saying, you know... <laughs> I'm sure it would be educational for all the listeners. The teacher and me couldn't help but love that educational element that was emphasized in this discussion with Nathan and his superpower of helping people understand. In my mind, it starts with this personal curiosity that's been present in a lot of our guests. They were curious about how stuff worked. And though maybe Nathan didn't use those specific words while we were talking, you could tell he was curious about how things worked together. And then it gets followed by this period of, I'm going to teach this back or share this with somebody else. And by default, I will hopefully understand it better myself. Yeah, I noticed that happened in a cross-domain way, obviously with work. But also he said that he is teaching some Sunday school, I think if I remember correctly, mm -hmm. and my one experience ever doing that, I definitely realized that there were things that I didn't understand that I had to understand a little bit better, and the act of preparing for, to teach helped me understand things a lot more and, you know, helped me dive into things a little bit more. Let me connect that with something that I was reacting to, which was the idea of systems thinking and his explanations there he felt, you know, one of the strengths that he had was to not just explain the function of something, translate that technical part to the actual function and how it affected the person directly, but also how it was part of a whole and how that whole worked and why that whole thing was important. And that's something that I think I either overemphasize or underemphasize. I always feel like I'm overemphasizing context, like background context, in a way that people don't need to know about, or I'm only doing the functional part, you know, how the system affects them personally and the functions that they're involved in. So I don't know exactly how to walk that line to balance those two things, to give not too much context, but also not too little. Just something that, that popped up in my head. I think you'd do a decent job. I haven't noticed anything that's like, oh, we just spent 15 minutes squirrel chasing context that we didn't need. I haven't noticed that. I think you're good. I feel like you're baiting me right now. I feel like that is <laughs> definitely... 
I feel like that is 100% something that I do almost every time we we prep for these episodes. So, <laughs> Well, I was just trying to get you to step up on the soapbox, and I guess it didn't work this time. You, you <laughs> saw it coming. Well, even though I couldn't light the fire in John just now, did you hear the part about a fire getting lit in Nathan? Some motivation he got from the words... You don't have the mental faculties to be an IT. I'm just going to leave that there because you'll hear more about it next time, but it has to be hard to take. Yeah, and it didn't occur to me at the moment, but that is straight out of The Talent Code by Dan Coyle, right? This concept of ignition. Great book. Yeah, something that you experience or see or in this case happens to you that might drive you to do that extra work and keep grinding away at those thousands of hours that you need to become an expert at something. But again, more on that later. Speaking of becoming an expert, some people leverage technical certifications in our industry to try and show their expertise. And we didn't dive into it deeply, but you did hear Nathan mention he works for a VAR, a value-added reseller or technology partner, meaning they have people on staff and they need certifications across different technology stacks so that they can retain their partner status. So one possible career path for people listening could be to go work for a VAR, whether it's pre-sales, post-sales, whatever kind of capacity it is, or even like some type of CTO evangelist role. And this could be a pathway to getting a bunch of certifications paid for that you always wanted. Yeah, absolutely. As part of that compensation package, right? Oh, we'll pay for as many certifications as you want across the clouds and many, many other things. Usually for VAR, it's about the the spaces where they are partners. So mm -hmm. if they work in a specific cloud domain, then they want a bunch of certifications you know, from that cloud partner. But it also extends outside sometimes, right? It's, oh, hey, you know, we don't really do anything with that specific hyper cloud but it always helps to have somebody on staff who maybe has a certification there even an entry-level one because when we go after somebody you know who's in that cloud space then we can have somebody who can authoritatively talk about that so yeah i think you're absolutely right there yeah just another option for people well john i think that's it for that segment anything else pop into your mind uh, no, just a reminder again that we'd like people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, as long as that is a going concern, at Nerd Journey. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore for John White at B Journeyman, signing off. Adios. 